science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another. I'm your host, Angel, and this is our 11th episode. Thank you for tuning in. Today I have an interview with author and fellow plant nerd, Amy Blackthorn, where we talk incense, resins, and what sort of herbs other than white sage are good to burn for smoke cleansing, as well as chat about her upcoming book. Before we get to the interview, I would just like to thank everyone out there who is listening and supporting our podcast. As 2020 has now drawn to a close, we are looking forward to bringing more content of science and witchy subjects in 2021, including herbalism, astrology, and more. If you would like to support our podcast, we now have a Patreon where we have uploaded our first Patreon-only content in relation to our most other recent episode on mushrooms. We are looking to expand and have more offerings, including some exclusive science goddesses and god stickers. If you can't support us financially, we'd still appreciate it if you would rate and review our podcast on the platform you listen to us on. Also, if you have any suggestions or thoughts about an episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com. And now, let's dive into our interview with Amy Blackthorn. All right, so with me as my guest today is Amy Blackthorn. Amy is a best-selling author of Blackthorn's Botanical Magic, Sacred Smoke, and Blackthorn's Botanical Brews, and has been described as an arcane horticulturist for her lifelong work with magical plants and teaching. She incorporates her experiences in British traditional witchcraft with her horticulture studies. She has a certification in aromatherapy and is ordained through the Order of the Golden Griffin. Amy's company, Blackthorn Botanicals, creates teas on magical associations, based on magical associations. She has appeared on HuffPo Live, Netflix Top 10 Secrets and Mysteries, in an episode about supernatural abilities, and the AP Newswire. Amy lives in Delaware. And uh, you can visit Amy's tea shop at blackthornsbotanicals.com. And I'll make sure to put that into the show notes. So um, welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the uh, Science Witch podcast. I was actually reading over your book right before we started recording again. And I as I was telling you before we started recording, this is just a really great primer on how to respectfully incorporate smoke cleansing into your practice as a, you know, as a modern witch. I just really liked how you both talk about the different types of herbs you can use to incorporate into your practice, as well as the ways that you can ethically source. So we could maybe kind of start off by talking about what are the benefits of having a smoke cleansing practice as a witch? One of the best things is that with burning plants, you can really tailor make your practice to be authentic to you instead of relying on um, outside practices. You can, you can start, I mean, in sacred smoke, we start from nothing. We start from clove buds and lavender buds. And I want you to journal and create your own experiences. You can absolutely tailor make this to your very own individual practice rather than 
waiting for somebody to give you permission mm-hmm. um, by by starting with creating your own practice. You can take the things that you love and you can leave the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have there's a lot of people who say, oh, I'm allergic to X. You know, what do I do? And the, the great part about it is you don't have to do anything. You can just leave it alone. Leave it over there where, where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of I joke a lot with friends. Uh, my friend Michael thinks that my allergy to uh, Rose is is some awful thing that I must have done in a past life <laughs> to have been <laughs> cursed with an allergy to Rose. And I, it's it's funny to me. I mean, my, my mother and all my sisters have the same allergy. So mm-hmm. uh, I can enjoy the flowers in my home, but the, mm-hmm. the essential oil is so rich that I that I can't work with it. I um uh, I worked for Lush Cosmetics for five years, oh. and I left when they tran they started translating the recipe from um, a very nice delicate English rose, uh, Rosa centifolia, to uh, the Turkish rose, the uh, the Damascene rose. It's great because they actually pay more for it, and they they built a school for the children of the migrant workers who pick all the flowers. Oh wow. But I'm only allergic to the Turkish roses. So oh, wow. <laughs> it got to a point where I couldn't do anything at work without um, risking hives and anaphylaxis. So I, I left my job. But uh, it's so funny because, oh, my God, you know, there's so many recipes in Blackbird's Botanical Magic. And they say, OK, well, what do I do if I'm allergic to rose or I'm allergic to lavender? Or, mm-hmm. Just leave it out. There's right. a ready-made, um, it's a secret one of those open secrets in the very back of Blackbird's Botanical Magic, there's a recipe index. Um, Mm -hmm. And the way that it's written, there's not page numbers. You say, okay, I'm looking for banishing recipes or blessing or healing recipes. Rather than put a page number where they're listed, it lists the essential oil that you can uh, find it in that chapter, that section. So if you want the fruitful healing recipe, look under cinnamon. But what that does is it makes a ready-made list of substitutions. Mm-hmm. So if you look in the healing group, you have a list of all the healing essential oils that can work in what you're doing. So you can substitute or you can just leave it out. But it, by starting from zero, you don't mm-hmm. have to, you don't need anyone's permission. You just figure out what works for you specifically. Yeah. And I also really appreciate how you talk about how to incorporate a respectful practice that doesn't infringe on First Nation or Indigenous cultures. And I actually wanted to use your own words here because I thought you had had said this so well. If you picked up anything about using sacred smoke before opening this book, you may have heard it called smudging. Indigenous people and First Nation peoples have an indigenous practice called smudging that is sacred to them. If you are not a member of an indigenous tribe or trained in that practice, it won't be smudging. It is smoke cleansing, smoke bathing, and smoke rituals. You get the idea. We're here to learn how to build our own practices without appropriating another's culture. And, you know, I just appreciate that a lot because this is something that I come up in discourse with a lot of well-intentioned white practitioners. And one of my really close friends is Tohono O'odham, and um, which is a tribe that's on the Mexico-Arizona border. Mm-hmm. And she goes and does morning prayers 
usually in uh, nearby mountains where she lives. And she was bitching on her Twitter about how she went up to do one of her prayers and there was a white woman burning sage. And it's just not a good look when a Native person comes up on a white person burning sage. And this woman told her that she had been training to be a medicine woman during the pandemic. And my friend, you know, she she's an actual. <laughs> I'm sure that will. Yeah, yeah. So, and then she further had asked the woman, like, well, where did you get your white sage? And she just said, oh, this store. There's a sacredness about this plant that I just think that a lot of people that aren't raised in that culture can't quite understand and how important this this herb is and something I like to encourage people is like there are other herbs that are just as potent to use in a cleansing respectful practice you don't have to use white sage in fact if you're not indigenous the best thing is to find other herbs that are closer to your own cultural backgrounds to incorporate do you want to add to that in, in terms of what your thinking was when you put this into your book? Absolutely. Uh, there's even other salvias in the, in the mm-hmm. family, in the genus salvia. There are 814 individual uh, genii. Then there's, right. it breaks down even further. So if you like the smell of sage, try salvia Lucantha, uh, try even the garden sage that, yeah. you know, grows in your yard. You can plant it. You can harvest it right there. You don't need to appropriate someone else's culture. Salvia mm-hmm. Lucantha, uh, it's also called a Mexican bush sage. Yeah. It gets mm, probably two feet tall, and then it gets a foot long of these velvet, like, lamb's ear spikes of purple flowers that hummingbirds mm-hmm. and butterflies adore. Yeah. You can grow things in your own yard. There are things that are already waiting for you to work with them. Things like mugwort that grow on six continents. It grows literally everywhere. Everywhere. You do not have to worry about, um, you know, some of the stores where where white sage is sold, you don't know that it's not uh, poached. You don't know where it came from because they probably put the same amount of time into sourcing their materials as they do their their bikinis and their flip flops. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, seeing it, seeing it for sale in the, in the mall for, you know, two or three dollars. It, it was, oh, it was really upsetting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I just think that it, it's, it's been commodified in a way that is really disrespectful to the people who Native Americans were not even allowed to practice a lot of their rituals and beliefs until like the 1970s. And so a lot of the knowledge that was continued to survive colonialism was preserved at great cost. And that's just something as a white ally, I try to stress, especially in the witchcraft community where you just see people that, you know, of course I don't feel like they're meaning to, culturally appropriate and be disrespectful but the fact is that they they don't have an awareness of what of how sacred this plant is and as well as just there are other herbs that you can use and practice with absolutely uh i mugwort is such a a large part of my practice i've i have probably a 20 by 
six bet flower bed on the side of the house, and then mm-hmm. there's it wraps around the front of the house. The side of the house is completely mugwort at this point. Yeah, uh, it's not only has it taken over um, its original intended spot, but it's killed things like I had a comfrey plant the size of a coffee table, and it killed it. <laughs> um, I had mint that I planted 17 years ago when I bought this house. And the leaves were, a single leaf was probably about the size of my palm. The mugwort killed it. Like, it's it's looking to, to experiment with people. It look, it's looking to help you create your own understanding and practice. And that's the thing about considering our plants allies rather mm-hmm. than, I, I try not to use the, the word use, mm-hmm. because this isn't an ownership relationship. This is, you're looking to develop a practice involving the spirits of these plants and by working with plant matter that's been stolen in the most literal sense of the word is not the way to do it. <laughs> right. Right. And I, I love how you encourage witches to grow your own herbs, even if it's something small, like just buying a lavender plant at Trader Joe's, just start with something small and really, learn to speak that plant's language like look at that plant talk to the plants have an actual relationship with the plant and i i I really appreciate that i also love plants and i have a I, i grow my own mugwort as well and i have this mint a colony. I can't call it a plant it's just this entire strip of mint so if your mugwort killed off your mint you know, mint being just such an aggressive plant, um, must be some really, really potent stuff on inside that mugwort. But I, I love mugwort for smoke cleansing. I also love it for tinctures, of course, for dreaming. And it's a, it's a sacred plant to Hecate, who has been kind of in vogue lately. There's a lot of stuff on Hecate and lately on the witch web so <laughs> I, I i also would encourage listeners to check out mugwort if you're looking for an herb to really like connect with i did want to kind of zoom in on two particular types of incense since it is close to yule and these are plants that well i don't think a lot of people know that are actually plants and that's frankincense and myrrh of course we all know the well, not all we, but many of us in the West that were raised in Christian backgrounds know the story about how frankincense and myrrh were what were brought to baby Jesus. And I don't think in modern day we understand the reverence that ancient peoples had for these particular substances. So maybe you can speak about particular resins and what their significance is. It's, it's funny because until I started writing this book, I didn't realize how many people took frankincense and myrrh for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had someone who I, I interviewed people to sort of gauge what people knew and didn't know. And I actually had someone who responded, I thought that was one thing, frankincense mm-hmm. and myrrh. Like one word smooshed together, frankincense and myrrh. And it didn't occur to me that people don't know. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, I, one of my favorite stories... Um, I worked at a shop called Mystical Voyage uh, from uh, 2007 and 2010 when they uh, when they unfortunately closed. <laughs> One night, it was in January. It was the very, very beginning of January. It was dark and blustery out, and I'm 
in the gift shop area, sort of fiddling about when the uh, gentleman comes whooshing into the store, like the, the, the wind was kicked up, the, the door flung out of his hand and he comes running in his crazed look in his eye and goes, where are your oils? <laughs> like, they're over here. Is there something I can help you with? There's obviously there's there's something agitating you. Like, what can I, how, how can I help you? And he says, where is your frankincense? And I'm like, well, we have the frankincense oil here. Here's the shelf. There's there's all the different varieties here. And we have frankincense um, with or without myrrh over here in bulk, you know, by the pound. And he says, oh, you have you have it? Like, what is wrong with this man? These, that there's a frankincense emergency. It turns out that he's from the local Catholic church down the street. Oh, yes. It's Epiphany. And they forgot to reorder their frankincense and myrrh after the Christmas mass. So it's <laughs> masses in like an hour and they ran out and they, they, so they ran to the witch store to see if we had any. <laughs> the priest runs to the witch store for his frankincense emergency. I love it. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. I, I tell that story pretty often. He actually wound up joining us for a few of our, on Sunday mornings, we had a coffee clash, sort of hang out and drink coffee and chat event. He came to a number of Sunday mornings after mass, he'd come and hang out. Just, he, he was much, what was it that he said? Something about, I didn't know that it was this cool, that you guys were, you know, <laughs> relaxed and it was, he had a lot of fun and he came back for a few times. We really, it's just, we like plants. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> it's funny. People don't recognize, they see the price on essential oils like frankincense. I actually have a, a bottle of frankincense here at my desk. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand. They see the price tag and say, you know, my God, why is it, you know, $100 for something that's diluted mm-hmm. and comes in a five milliliter bottle? Grab my little myrrh bottle and, oh. Yeah. The reason, there's a there's a huge reason behind this. Once you plant a seed, frankincense trees seed, it takes 20 years mm-hmm. for it to mature to the point where it is able to produce the sap that dries to become the resin. And then mm-hmm. it is uh, then translated into our essential oils or your, your other powdered incenses, maybe. But that's 20 years of paying for the water bill and paying the, the mortgage on the on the land paying people to mow the lawn, paying, you know, just cost after cost for 20 years before you can even think about starting to recoup some of the money you've put out. So it's incredibly expensive. And even in the the days of um, the, the stories from the Bible, it was even more so because it was produced in Somalia. So for it to get to Jerusalem, I mean, that's an incredible distance. Uh I had a theory about that, and I haven't discussed this with any of the the priest friends that I've made over the years. But it, because it is so expensive, I mean, we know that gold is expensive, but at this point, even frankincense and myrrh are both incredibly valuable possessions to be gifting someone. Right. If they, not only are these used for purification and for blessing, and it's associated with spirituality. Mm-hmm. But the the literal cost of these things could then be translated into safety and shelter and food for the this husband and wife who just had this <laughs> their very first baby, maybe possibly their only baby. Mm-hmm. They didn't have anywhere to go. 
So they're mm-hmm. on the run, and this is something this is something very valuable that they can hide, but they can also use to get things like food and shelter. Mm-hmm. So they're I think it's really neat that that's it could possibly be a very common like a, thing. You like know, you want to make sure that you're, almost. Exactly. It's it's even safer than currency because if you're traveling into different areas, you know, you don't want to leave a trail necessarily, but you want to make sure that people have the ability to help you. It's sometimes it's not that they don't want to help you, but they they're worrying about their livelihood, they're worried about their their, their safety of their family. That's it's something that I had thought of while writing this. Yeah. Well, and also a lot of the places where these trees still exist today are very impoverished countries like you know, Somalia and Eritrea and those areas in the Horn region of Africa. So, of course, with capitalism and all of the pressure to for the West that wants this as a commodity, a lot of these ancient trees that have been sourced for thousands of years, some of them, because these trees, well, not thousands of years, but these trees are really long living. I think they, some of them are as old as like 1500 years old. So they've been a continual use as far as like resin trees. And with, with the higher demand, the people that have been tending them are starting to put more pressure on the trees and collecting more of the resin or there are people who just go out and in their poverty uh, and, and desperation, they just completely bleed the trees dry and then they die. It's really important specifically for frankincense to make sure that if you want to use it in your practice, that you, you get it from these ethical sources. And, you know, you talk about that a little bit in your book about how important it is to kind of know where these, especially resins from frankincense, like frankincense and myrrh are coming from. Yeah. in especially in things like a dragon's blood, even mm-hmm. that, that resin, there's a, there's a couple of varieties of trees that produce dragon's blood. They're all just all in the Dracaena family, mm-hmm. but there's the cinnabari and there's, so making sure that you're getting the, the true frankincense, the true myrrh, the true dragon's blood is actually really, um, can be difficult mm-hmm. because there are people who want to make a buck. Right. Yeah, it is. And well, what do you think it is about frankincense itself that makes it such a valuable thing? I had read that it has slight psychoactive capabilities. And that's one of the reasons that the Catholic church has been using it for a long time, because it helps people get into this sort of meditative headspace that permits more communion with a higher power, what you would want to have in a church. But what are your thoughts on why people found this frankincense, this particular resin so valuable well it's interesting the way that it interacts with the brain and our brain chemistry mm-hmm. you know there's um it helps with serotonin and dopamine it's actually an, uh, an antidepressant mm-hmm. so it it helps uh it's sort of the, the reuptake inhibitors mm-hmm. that help our dopamine and our serotonin last longer in the brain before it's absorbed by that that synapse mm-hmm. uh, it was the the chemistry of the brain is actually one of my favorite things to talk about mm-hmm. um in my my traditional schooling, uh, we actually had a really fast, fantastic class, um, Drugs in Society and Human Behavior. Mm-hmm. And there's an entire chapter on how each of our our allies work with 
the actual chemistry of our brain. It's not just that they smell nice. Right, um, right. They actually have um, the way that we interact with them, both on a personal level and a, and a um, talking about our brain's chemistry. Each of our things, each, each scent that we deal with, each scent that we encounter during our day, mm-hmm. when you inhale, you know, frankincense or myrrh or lavender, whatever mm-hmm. it is, there's a process that happens. So it goes to the very, very back of your nose mm-hmm. um, where the actual scent organ lies. It's not the little hairs in, in your nose. It's actually way in the back. That's actually why um, the COVID testing swab is actually swabbing the very back of your scent organ because that's where everything lives. Mm. Uh, so what happens is it's got to travel all the way through your memories before it gets to recognition. So it goes through a little Rolodex of a sense that you've encountered in your life, starting from today and going back yesterday, the day before, going backwards till it encounters that scent. Mm. So if you encountered it five minutes ago, you know, oh, hey, that's frankincense. But if it's been since you were seven, since you've smelled that, it's going to take a minute. But that's why scent is so inextricably linked with memory. Yeah. And when you we smell these things, we have such a strong visceral reaction to our memories is because you actually have to go and sort through the memories before you can remember what it is that you're smelling. Oh, that's fascinating. A very well way to put it. I know for me, Dragon's Blood was one of the scents that was connected to witchy bookstores. Mm-hmm. And I have been collecting more essential oils and I opened the Dragon's Blood to smell it. And I hadn't thought about this this little witchy bookstore in my hometown for at least 20 years. And as soon as I opened it up, it just, that memory came flooding back to me. And it was, uh, it's a powerful experience. Um, these types of resins from the Middle East and ancient Western world, these were associated a lot of times with divinity, like, the ancient Egyptians, frankincense specifically, was very sacred for. And when you were in the presence of divinity, at times they would describe there would be smells that would come along with divinity. And frankincense was believed to be one of those sacred smells. So I think that's just really interesting to think about, that divinity is directly tied to this sensation of an aroma. I think that's one of the reasons, and I'm, this is my completely conjecture at this point, but I think that's one of the reasons that um, the if there were three wise men that they would have presented, you know, Jesus in the in the manger with these materials because they were already associated with the divine, mm-hmm. and so it was a recognition of the divine, not necessarily. Uh, just oh we we happen to be at the frankincense store <laughs> we'll, we'll just get some for the baby uh but i really think that when we look at the past associations for deities before christianity came along mm-hmm. it's so fascinating to see the things that get carried over and some of it's uh I, i'm sure has probably been, been designed but i don't think that can account for all of it mm-hmm. so i think it's it's one of those things that just comes to us as a you know as people that we we make these connections whether we're consciously taught it or we just 
uh, draw those associations from our past experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I also feel like scent is something that it's one of these ethereal scents that's not really connected as much to our like logical brain, the way that our ears and our eyes are. It's something almost like it's not even a scent that people use a lot. And I guess with in the age of COVID, this is a really terrible, terrifying thing is like losing your sense of smell and your sense of taste. I think I, I had saw something about how people were sending back or sending complaints to Yankee candles because they couldn't smell the candles anymore. And it was because they lost their sense of smell through through COVID, which is a just such a terrifying thing, which hopefully we'll find a, a, a therapy for as the vaccine comes out and people will get to have their sense of smell again. Because like as a modern human, having the experience of breathing in the aroma of this plant, either it burning or if it's through a um, one of those little humidifiers, if you can't take the smoke for asthma reasons, just that experience can help take your mind into a place that in a much easier way it can go to a meditative or a state that's receptive for insight and divi- uh, divination that you can't really replicate with other methods. I mean, there are, of course, many different ways that you can achieve that. But I find that for me in my practice, burning some incense when I get home is a great way for me to just sort of connect to the very present moment. And that's something scent does. It travels through your memories, but at the same time, it helps you kind of bring you into focusing on your breath. Oh, yes. Ways that... I feel that it's just uh, such a powerful way to incorporate into your practice. One of my favorite ways of bringing this this into practice is there's a company out there, Fred Sol. Uh, it's a company from the out in the desert, um, probably Arizona, maybe New Mexico, mm-hmm. and he actually takes the the thin bamboo and dips it into the melted resin. Uh, repeatedly to get a, a nice thick resin on a stick that you can burn like traditional incense. It's not mm-hmm. scented pine sawdust. Uh, so you can use this to, you can just light it just like traditional incense. And you don't have to babysit it like you do charcoal and resin. And it's a little bit more manageable than, than some of the charcoal mm-hmm. uh, uses. I will tell you that, you know, <laughs> when people start experimenting with charcoal and resin, Every one of us does it. You know, you grab a nice big chunk and you think, oh, this is this looks fine. And you throw it on the charcoal and uh-huh. you've smoked yourself out of the right. room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Every one of us does it. For sure. Um, <laughs> but the with the Fred Saul, they have uh, they have the amber and they have the dragon's blood and they have frankincense and myrrh and all these different varieties that they, they make from local materials as, as much mm-hmm. as possible. But it's so much easier to manage than just winging it with, you know, throwing a chunk on some charcoal and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really love their dragon split, especially. I'll have to put their link in the show notes so we can uh, promote them a little bit more. Well, um, I think we're getting close to time here. Do you have any other 
thoughts or things you want to let our listeners know about your work or smoke cleansing or? Well, I have, uh, as of, you know, everyone has their, their new quarantine project, a new quarantine yeah. hobby. Um, I've, I've had a work on uh, a line of spell candles in the works for about a year, but I spent all of 2019 on tour uh, promoting sacred smoke and mm-hmm. Black botanical magic. And so I, I had, I had nothing left over. So my spell candle line that I, I had been working on for a year is officially on the website of blackbirdsbotanicals.com. And there's, and it's sort of, I want to fill in the gaps in the, in the industry. I don't, there's, mm-hmm. there's no, it's not just here's, here's a love candle and here's a protection candle and you move on. There's things like, um, recognition at work. There's a, a candle called gravy yeah. train. So you can receive the recognition for your hard work and it's, mm-hmm. The top note is tomato leaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it smells like a, a garden in the summer. Actually, I have one sitting right here. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get this bright lemon and tomato leaf and sa- uh, garden sage. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of lavender. So it's a, it's a beautiful botanical smell. So it actually, each listing will tell you what is in that spell candle, why I included it. So this is great for... Uh, revealing secrets. This is great for uh, amplifying your image. So, because I, I'm at heart a teacher, I want people to experience these things, but I also want them to know why, because that's how you learn. That's how you really experience things mm-hmm. that you get to keep later. Mm-hmm. You know, if I tell you, you know, lavender is good for, you know, calming people down at home. Okay, you may recognize that. You may remember that. You may not, because we remember. of what we hear, 25% of the things that we do. So if I can incorporate it in something you're already doing it, that's, that's how you get to keep it. That's how you get to remember it later. And you get to remember it with a smell. Yes. (laughs) So those spell candles and their matching teas are available on blackbirdsbotanicals.com right now. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, thank you again so much for joining me today and Hopefully when, uh, well, I wanted to ask, do you have any other book projects in the world? Oh, yes. (laughs) I did, because I I went (laughs) I could see you being a reoccurring guest on the show, (laughs) because we're going to nerd out on some witchcraft and plants. I feel like this is just the beginning. So tell us about your next project. So the next, I just signed the contract, like they just dried on the next project so it hasn't even been announced on my facebook page yet so you guys are are in you're getting ahead of everybody else Uh, (laughs) yes the next project is blackthorns protection magic a witch's guide to self-defense i like it yes i i've been in security for 15 years Mm -hmm. i'm a self-defense instructor i've been black belt so i get to pull all the different pieces of me that aren't witchcraft necessarily and put it into this book and then I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> I, I will, I will really look forward to that. Maybe we, uh, closer to when it's being released, we can have a conversation about that as well. Cause I could definitely ask about some pr- protection and how you're going to incorporate that into plants as well. Yes. Awesome. And I have some uh, interesting stories to share that go with it. So we'll have fun. Awesome. Great. All right, Amy, well, thank you again so much for for joining me this evening. And I will uh, hopefully be talking to you again soon. 
Thank you so much for having me. Special thanks to Amy for coming on to the Science Witch podcast. I hope to have her back soon with a discussion on botanical brews and her upcoming project. Before we end, I wanted to take a moment to share a remembrance with y'all, my listeners. 2020 has been such a challenging and difficult year for so many of us, and we've all had to deal with a lot of loss. For me personally, I experienced this sort of profound loss in early December when my friend, teacher, and spiritual advisor, Richard Stratton, passed away. While he was in a lot of pain because of a chronic illness, his death was unexpected and it has been a profound loss for the many people whose lives he's influenced. He was one of the first people to get me interested in tarot. He taught me a lot about ancient Egypt and guided me to find out more about my patron goddess, Shishat. And he was a joyful and charismatic speaker and singer who always relished the good times. He was an accomplished scholar in all things occult, a respected medium and tarot reader. He was also a poet. I want to take this moment to read one of his shorter poems in memory of him and his craft. This is called The Bookmark to My Soul. Oh, to find the bookmark of my soul, the page where I left off, the place where I must go. From the myriad chapters to discern, that verse upon which I should return, and with gladdened eye to learn what lies beneath these long dead words, to live again, to breathe, to know, oh, to find the bookmark of my soul. Rest in power, Richard. You will be missed, but I know you are still there. Thank you for listening. We hope to be back in 2021 with new episodes soon and more content for our Patreons. Until then, live long and prosper, and blessed be.